I recently read an article by pastor and author John McCollum, where he talks about how the gospel writer Matthew jumps straight in to this wonderful Christmas story about Jesus with murder. It's an interesting piece that I read, so uh, I've decided to borrow some of his material and thoughts and explore this whole idea a little bit more this morning. Murder and Christmas. Not, it's not usually two words you put together, is it? Now, Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, uh, but crime doesn't stop just because it's Christmas. You might be surprised there's actually a disturbing number of murders that actually take place on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. And it is disturbing. We don't want to think of Christmas and murder together, do we? But it's occurred since ancient times. Matthew, the author of the gospel book of Matthew, tells us the very first time that it happened. So what I'm going to do for you this morning is I'm going to paraphrase the story from Matthew chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to give my narrative version of the story, and I'm going to throw some historical background in as well to kind of fill in some of the gaps of the story. All right? So here's the story. There were astrologers from Persia, probably from modern-day Iran. The Bible just says they were from the east, so that's all we really know, but that's where we think they were from. They were also known as Magi. Maybe you know them as we three kings of Orient are. Thank you, Nadine. There's not a musical this morning, that's all you get. But that's my, that might be how you know these people. But these were astrologers of some sort who had noticed a new star in the sky. They were men that were kind of this mixture of a philosopher, scientist, sage. Uh, maybe they were kind of like priests to the kings of Persia. They taught the kings of Persia on astrological matters. So when these magi saw the star, because of their studies and the buzz in their community, they knew something was up. They knew something big was happening. So their calculations told them they need to begin their search in the West, what we now know as Israel. So that's where they went, to Israel. So after hot days, cold nights, they made their way up the mountain into Jerusalem, and they started asking around. Hey, has anybody heard? Can you tell us where this new king of the Jews might be? I mean, we've seen his star. We've, we've come to worship him. Can anyone tell us where we might find him? Now, some people kind of looked at him and like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, dude, kind of sort of blowing them off a bit. But some people, they're like, let's take this and run with it, okay? Let's make this the juiciest new gossip in Jerusalem, right? So they started spreading the word. Have you heard? There's a new king. There's a new Jewish king. There's a bunch of Persian astrologers, and they're asking about him. And before long, Matthew tells us, this was the buzz in Jerusalem. This really was the buzz. And the word made it up to the palace to King Herod the Great, the ruling king of the Jews. And since the Romans kind of ruled the place, he was more like a figurehead puppet kind of king dude. But he fashioned himself as this big 
fancy king, and he ruthlessly exercised whatever power he could. So the new king of the Jews' news reached Herod, and this guy, he is paranoid. Let me just kind of describe Herod to you. He is evil. In fact, he was not beyond killing his own wife or children if they got in the way of his power. If they were a threat to him, he was known to have done something like that. Murder. That's his middle name. Herod Murder the Great. Case in point, when Herod, this is a true story, when Herod realized that his death was near, he ordered the arrest of leading citizens of the surrounding villages. And they were to be killed at the news of his death so that somebody would be sad on the day that he died. That's ridiculous. Now, the good news is his guys never carried that out, okay? But that's, that's a picture of who he was. He was so upset by the king of the Jews' news that he called the local Jewish priests together, and he said, all right, guys, you've got to know about this. Surely there's something in your Bible about this. Do you know anything about where this Christ is supposed to be? And so they kind of huddled together and put their heads together and said, you know what? It says in the prophet Micah, that this king would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, huh? Says Herod. So he secretly summoned the Magi together. And he says, I hear that you've come to our little town for a little time of worshiping and find this new king. I'm glad you're here. I've called you here because I think I can help you out. I can shorten your search. The prophecies, our prophecies say that this king that you search for, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, which is just a dirty little town south of here. I got a wonderful idea. Great idea. Why don't you guys go down to Bethlehem, find this king, and then you come back and you tell me, and together we'll all go and we'll worship him together. All right? Sound like a plan? They thought it was a pretty good idea, and so they headed down to Bethlehem, and they found the child king in his home. By now, he had kind of graduated out of the stable, okay? And so the Magi worshipped him, Matthew tells us. They offered him elaborate gifts of gold, frankincense, myrrh, all things that likely the family would need later on because something's going to happen later on, and they're going to need that, that kind of support, that financial support. Well, that night, the Magi didn't rest very well because God disturbed their sleep with a dream, a warning dream, a warning not to return to Herod. And that wasn't the only God dream in Bethlehem that week. The night after the Magi headed out and they did obey the dream, Joseph, the man that God had chose to be Jesus's earthly father, also had a dream. And this is where we pick up our final hyperlink to Jesus. So all this series, we've been looking at links from Jesus in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We've been looking at them together. And so we're going to pick up this final hyperlink, and it's in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to start with verse 13. So look with me in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Now, when they had departed, and today is the Magi, okay? So when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, 
take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill, this is our hyperlink, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. So the Old Testament quote here is from the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. All right. Now we're not going to really unpack this fully. So I just want to give you a little bit of a sidebar to tell you what this means and what's significant about this. So it's, I'm just going to give you a little synopsis of the significance of this hyperlink. So Jesus in this link is being compared to Moses. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, Moses came out of Egypt as a deliverer, a savior of God's people. And so the reference is in essence saying, just like Moses, Jesus is coming out of Egypt to be the redeemer, the savior of God's people. All right. So that's, that's the link and that's the significance of that link. All right. Okay. So back to our story. It's a good thing that Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus left that night. The angel was right. Herod, the original Grinch who stole Christmas, wanted Jesus dead. So within a couple of days, Herod kind of assumed that his plan to have the Magi come back, it didn't work. He was kind of ticked off. You know, those Magi, they double-crossed me. Who knows where they are? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to find that king. I know where he is. He's in Bethlehem. He's going to die. Herod, remember his middle name is murder, did what every king does in those days when there's a rival. They order murder. So he calls the head of his secret police, and he says, you know, trying to find this child king is like looking for a needle in a haystack. We're not going to do that. Plus, the kid's parents may get tipped off that we're coming and may head out of town. So here's what you do. Uh, Listening to those magi, I've kind of calculated that this baby probably is about a year old. That's my best guess. I think I'm pretty accurate. But just to be safe, I want you to go to that town and I want you to murder every child two years old and younger. And we'll kill this king in the process. Well, meanwhile, at Bethlehem, boys were playing in their homes. Some were maybe down for a a peaceful night's sleep. Others were being rocked by their mothers in their arms. And then there's the sound of horses, of, of hoof beats. Herod's men come barging in, swords, Blood everywhere, dead children everywhere. One minute the boys were fine, and a few minutes later they were dead. Murder on Christmas. Based on population estimates, historians conclude this, that there were probably 30 to 60 boys of that age in Bethlehem at that time. And so that's probably how many were killed. And there's probably was a few moms and dads that were 
probably killed who probably tried to step in and stop it. There was no sleeping that night in Bethlehem. There were just tears, leaders of tears, in inconsolable grief, mothers who, who refused to be comforted. Mass murder, atrocity, you know, there's not words that can actually describe an evil like this that was perpetrated in Bethlehem that night. And so Matthew gives us another Old Testament link from the book of Jeremiah. We're going to look at this one too as well. Matthew chapter 2, verse 17. He says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And this comes from Jeremiah 3.15. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. Because they were no more. This is a Christmas story? Yeah, it is. Matthew tucks it right in there with Jesus' birth. And it's a troubling story. You've got to admit. I mean, why would God, why would God sit on his hands and allow such an atrocity to be done to children? I mean, he warned Joseph, right? Why couldn't he have just told the other dads too? I mean, the story is troubling. But it's still a Christmas story. It's even in the Gospels, which is supposed to mean good news, right? Is there any good news in this story? Well, God sent his only son to be born in a world like this. A world where kings abuse power, where people are victimized, where children are murdered, a world where children suffer and parents weep for them uncontrollably. A world where Satan has a foothold. It seems like he's just got his foot in the door. And evil appears to win more than it loses. And what people cynically call the real world. Christmas happened in the real world. And if somehow we can see past the blood and the violence, there is good news. In the baby Jesus, God entered this world, this corrupt, evil, unjust, devil-serving, sin-loving, war-mongering, baby-killing world, God entered this world. He didn't wait till it was safe. He didn't make it easier for Jesus than it would have been for anybody else. God didn't send Jesus into the family, a rich family, to kind of give him the lap of luxury. He didn't put Jesus under the protection of, of a friendly government. He didn't have him born in a state-of-the-art hospital. He didn't put reservations for him at the Hilton. God entered this world, this real world, our world, just as it is, with all its evils, with all its dangers. And before his son could say one controversial, eyebrow-raising word, before he could do anything, the powers that be tried to snuff him out. God entered this world. God came to this world not with a sword, but he came not to destroy, but he came to redeem this world. That's the good news. That's the gospel news. That redemption that Jesus would provide would cost a high price, though. A price that Jesus paid 
in his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Yeah, Jesus got a pass that night in Bethlehem. God warned Joseph in a dream, grab Mary, grab the baby, and head south to Egypt. He had a mission to accomplish, and it wasn't his time to die. His time to die would come some 33 years later, on a hill outside Jerusalem, where another ruler killed him on a cross. In the Bethlehem massacre, Herod thought he had gotten the best of Jesus. He had not. In the Jerusalem crucifixion, the powers that killed Jesus thought they had got the best of Jesus. No, they had not. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus came to our world, our real world. He came to redeem our real world, and he did so through a cross. And then he sealed the redemption by proving he was who he was through his resurrection. And that was God's plan. That's what God was up to. The cross and the resurrection and the promise of Jesus' return remind us that evil doesn't get the last word. God gets the final word. God wins. And all these hyperlinks that we've been looking at are all culminated at this event. Jesus comes to the real world, and because he came, God wins. And that's good news. That's gospel. That means that even though we live in a real world where evil sometimes sits on the throne, where people suffer all manners of things, we can live in the peace of Christ because we know how the story ends. We know God wins. And because we know that, until the story ends, we know that in Christ, God is with us. He's with us today. He's with us no matter what comes. He's with us when we laugh and when we cry. He's with us when we, when we celebrate. He's with us when we suffer. He's with us through a pandemic. He's with us all the way to the end of the story. And this is the end of the story that we believe by faith that Jesus wins. Herod loses. Justice prevails. Evil is vanquished. Light, God's light, extinguishes darkness forever. We're not there yet. We're still in this world. But by faith, we believe that not only is God with us now, but his promise for a new heaven and a new earth are true. So what are we celebrating this Christmas? We're celebrating that God wins. I want to close with a prayer that's regularly prayed throughout the Christian church worldwide during the Christmas season. I'm going to invite you to pray with me this prayer. It's going to be on the screen. Why don't you stand? O oh, wisdom, Lord and ruler, root of Jesse, key of David, rising sun, king of the nations, Emmanuel, come, Lord Jesus, come.